So tonight we're reading from Luke 2, 22 to 40. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Amen. I'll keep those Bibles open. Uh, Mark, I have to say, I appreciated your intro to the service, uh, because it sounds obvious, but life changes so much when you have a baby. I remember one time being at uh, Woolies in uh, Warilla Grove, and I was, I was rocking the, um, the uh, trolley full of things. You just get an automatic, and a bloke beside me said, you got kids right, haven't you, mate? <laughs> just, uh, even before the baby you know, is born, it changes the way people relate to you, uh, it changes your conversation, it changes your budget. It changes the, your use of space. I mean, like, your, your car goes from this to this. And uh, then you're... Actually, that's really neat. Ours was much more packed than that. Um, your spare room goes from this to this. And then your dining room goes from this to this. <laughs> or something like that. Uh, many people are, are spellbound by newborn babies. So tiny. And the very presence of a baby causes them to say and do things that they just normally wouldn't do. Uh, but imagine, I mean, imagine someone holding your newborn baby and saying, 
okay, God, I'm ready to die now. I mean, that's basically what Simeon says in the reading that we've just heard. So let's pray and ask God to help us understand it, shall we? Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for the many surprises and sometimes the confronting shocks in your word. Thank you too for the great comfort and hope that we find there. Help us to see that everything you have done and continue to do is for our good. Please help us to understand this passage and to respond with deeper trust and love for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after several months now of following through the line of David, and we've come through the Old Testament, uh, what a joy it was for us last Sunday, again, and then again on Christmas Day, to see how all of those prophecies uh, in the Old Testament and all those promises of God converge and come together in the birth of Jesus. And we saw that in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 just last week. Now, of course, Matthew wrote his gospel account many years after Jesus' life and death and resurrection as he reflected on all that he had personally witnessed and uh, the stories shared by others. Now, that's how God preserved it uh, in writing for, for the generations that would follow, which includes us here today. Um, but here we're entering back into the story, if you like, seeing what happened, trying to imagine, if we can, what it must have been like for Joseph and Mary as various people responded to their little baby. Now, we're, we're going to focus just on Simeon uh, here this afternoon. And straight away, as we look at the beginning of this passage, we're confronted by something quite odd. Joseph and Mary took him to the temple in Jerusalem for purification rites. Now, it begs the question, why is there any need for purification for the Son of God. He's already clean. We see this in verse 21, just before what was read as well, with his circumcision. I mean, why did the Son of God need to be painfully marked as a child belonging to God? It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Now, I guess an easy explanation would be that his parents didn't know fully who he was, so they were just doing, as verse 22 says, yeah, the purification rites required by the law of Moses. And, of course, baby Jesus couldn't speak up for himself and say, whoa, stop, guys, no need. You know. um, but, but that actually doesn't hold up because when Jesus began his ministry at age 30, he willingly chose to be baptised by John the Baptist, even against John's suggestion. And that was a baptism of repentance. So, again, it begs the question, why did the perfect son of God have to repent? He didn't. Uh, what did he need to be cleansed from? There was nothing. What we see, rather, on all of these occasions is Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, choosing to identify fully with those he came to save. He chose to share in, in all the joys and pains and frailty and temptations of the human experience that we know. He was fully human from cradle to grave. And it sure wasn't easy. I mean, if we look a bit closer here, we see that uh, he was familiar with poverty and with suffering. Verse 24 says his parents offered a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 12, that's where that command comes from. But 
doves and pigeons, that was an exception for those who were really poor and could not afford a lamb for sacrifice. One lamb was too much for their budget. They were poor. That's just the family he was in. And then we know from Matthew chapter 3, if we had a look at it, that before the age of two, Jesus was a refugee. The whole family running for their lives all the way down to Egypt so baby Jesus wouldn't be killed by King Herod. Friends, if you feel like life is a struggle in any way at all, know this. Jesus understands. Jesus understands. But again, I ask, why? Why all the power and wisdom and knowledge of, of being fully divine and then choose to become fully human? I mean, the whole salvation bit, you know, why not just appear at age 30, do the ministry and miracles part? That's kind of a bit of a, a ride, wasn't it? And, and then like do the cross and then the resurrection and you got the whole thing done in three years instead of 30 why face all the routines and the rituals of sinful people when he was perfect himself? Well, friends, there's at least six reasons why Jesus was fully human and they're all amazing. Firstly, Jesus was born under God's law so he could save fully people who are under God's law, which is everyone. Uh, we need saving because we keep on breaking God's law. Galatians 4 uh, says this, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Why? To redeem those under law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And there's our second point. Jesus became fully human like we are so that through him, we could become God's children like he is. That is an amazing promise of God. Jesus became fully human like we are, so that through him, we could become God's children as he is. Third point, Jesus became fully human to be our substitute on the cross. Like for like. Life for life. Isaiah prophetically spoke of this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. There's this great transaction going on. Peter in the New Testament puts it this way. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Jesus was clothed with our sin so that we could be clothed with his perfect righteousness. Fourth point. Jesus became fully human so he could break the power of sin, of Satan, and of death. Hebrews chapter 2 has a lot to say about Jesus' humanity. And uh, it says this, Since God's children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery 
by their fear of death. As people who've put their trust in Christ, we no longer need to fear death. Fifth point, Jesus became fully human to be our representative before God the Father. The same passage in Hebrews goes on to say he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And sixthly, which flows on that same passage in Hebrews, Jesus became fully human so that he could understand our weakness and offer us help and hope. Verse 18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Oh, look at that. What a list. What an incredible list. What a saviour we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Simeon, it seems, knew so much of this, recognised so much of this right from the start. Yet at a time when faith among God's people was at a very low point. Verse 25 says that Simeon was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he's waiting for the Messiah who would bring comfort to Israel. You read all about it in Isaiah chapter 40. And it's the same idea as verse 38, where the prophetess Anna refers to the redemption of Jerusalem. Both of them, they're eagerly waiting for the first coming of the Messiah. And I find that's a great encouragement and, and a challenge for us in our time. You know, at a time when faith in God is at quite a low point in Australia, are we eagerly waiting for the second coming of the Messiah? Like Simeon, are we righteous and devout? In other words, are we obeying God on the outside and loving him on the inside? Now, Simeon was a man of God. He was led by the Spirit. He'd had quite a unique promise of God. And as he lifted the Son of God, baby Jesus, in his arms, I think he kind of embodies the first purpose statement of our church. Loving Jesus. That's such a beautiful picture, isn't it? Look at what he says. Simeon begins just exploding in praise to God, singing about God's faithfulness. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. God always keeps his promises. And it's worth singing about. Simeon was a, a contented man. There he's really happy with little Jesus in his, his hands. He knows what's coming up ahead. And he's ready at that point to go and be with the Lord that he's served all his life. Second, he sings of God's salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Simeon recognizes that this helpless little baby is going to grow up to be the savior of God's people. And he sings about it. Not only that, but he recognises the scope of God's rescue plan. He sings of God's global mission. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Here, uh, Simeon embodies our third purpose statement, doesn't he? Speaking, or in this case singing, uh, the good news. Jesus is the saviour of the whole world and he wanted people to know about it. And I find this particularly striking coming from a Jew. 
We don't know if he was a priest. We kind of assume that he was. Uh, but he clearly understood that the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah were for all the nations, not just for Israel. God made it clear in his promise to Abraham. God had made it clear through the prophets time and time again. And in verse 32, Simeon draws on the language of Isaiah 49. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. It's talking about the Messiah here. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Simeon recognises that with Jesus, God's salvation for lost sinners from every tribe and tongue and nation of the whole world has arrived. And he's so excited. He's so filled with gratitude to God. And he sings about it. What a difference it would have made, you know, if all the priests and Pharisees and religious leaders had understood the Messiah as clearly as Simeon had. Now, it's easy to see, uh, for us to see their spiritual blindness and to kind of point the finger. But, but at this point, I want to ask, just ask a few questions to help us all reflect on where our own heart is at with God. Uh, firstly, and most importantly of all, I need to ask this. Have you put your trust in Jesus as your personal saviour for eternity? The one who died on the cross to pay for your sins and restore your relationship with God. Nothing in life is more important than that question. And if you're not sure, can I really encourage you, talk to someone about it before we leave. Here are some more questions, questions to consider. Are you so certain of your salvation, so content in your salvation, that you no longer fear death as a little child? I was terrified by the, the idea of death. I thought it was a horrible idea. Um, but in Christ, we no longer need to fear death. It doesn't mean that you want to die, but you're not afraid of, of, of death because you know that the, the moment you die, you're going to be with the Lord Jesus. Not because of your own goodness, but because of his goodness. Because of anything we've done ourselves, because of what he's done for us. Do you have that certainty? It's a wonderful thing. Is joyful singing part of your response to Jesus, as we see here with Simeon. Um, I kind of prefer that verse in uh, the Psalms that says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, because then it includes all of us, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, do you praise God for his faithfulness? We were just doing that a moment ago, weren't we? Speaking of God's faithfulness to us this year. Do you speak the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ alone? with your neighbour, with those around you? Are you playing your part to make sure that that good news is available and heard by people of every nation? I think a bit of personal reflection and prayer on these kinds of questions would be time well spent. And it may well lead to some faith-fueled action. Well, Simeon finished his song, but he wasn't quite finished speaking. Verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword 
will pierce your own soul too. Doesn't sound like a blessing, does it? To be fair, the, the words of blessing may have preceded what's recorded here. That's why it says, yeah, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary. <laughs> but it's worth noting that many of the so-called blessings in the Old Testament aren't so positive sounding either, if you go and look them up. And I think there's an important lesson for us here. Friends, simply to hear God's truth is to be blessed. Just to hear God's truth is to be blessed. In fact, God's blessing can never be divorced from truth. Now, of course, we're reminded in Ephesians to speak the truth in love, and that's really important too. But sometimes uh, in our efforts to try and sound loving, truth can be diluted or lost altogether. We need to be very careful that our desire to make people feel better about themselves or about their circumstances, or about their future, doesn't lead us to say things that simply are not true, or that we have no power over. You know, sometimes when confronted by the reality, uh, the, the pain of reality, um, some people prefer to say platitudes that bear little resemblance to the truth at all. And those kind of sentiments bring shallow comfort at best, and often produce long-term damaging pain. Well, let's look at what Simeon says here, because it may just reveal the thoughts of our own hearts as well. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Let me give you a couple of examples. Consider two of Jesus' disciples, Judas and Peter. Both sinned horribly. Both were filled with remorse, but Judas turned away from Jesus in despair and took his own life, while Peter turned back to Jesus in repentance. Jesus, moments after that, was, was crucified between two criminals. One criminal blasphemed and hurled insults, while the other believed and entered eternity with Jesus. Go down a few more years and the Apostle Paul compared the gospel message that he shared to a fragrance. And he said this, To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Jesus is like a, like a magnet that is attractive to some but repels others. Friends, let me ask you, how does Jesus move you? Next, Simeon said that Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against. Literally, a target that people will shoot at. Uh, yeah, and if you look at some of the signs in uh, New South Wales country roads, picture that, you know, plenty of shooting at those signs. Uh, it goes on to say, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. You know, since the time of Christ, people have been shooting at him and his followers, both with words and at times with weapons as well. He is indeed a target. And I think active resistance to Jesus and his followers is increasing in Australia too. But friends, take courage. Follow the example of people like Simeon and Anna and many thousands ever since who faithfully followed Jesus through good times and bad times. 
Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Stay the course because he is faithful. Friends, Simeon words, they are truth. And we're blessed to hear them because they remind us that following Jesus is not easy. It's wonderful. I mean, he fills our, our hearts with peace and joy, but it's not easy. In fact, following Jesus may take peace and joy away from other relationships in life at times. People that perhaps you work with, neighbours, perhaps even family members or teammates. As we see Jesus being a target for those who hate him, how will we respond? Will we be drawn to him or repelled from him? What do our own words and actions reveal about what's truly going on in our hearts? Jesus' close disciple Peter, you know, he drew back and, and, and denied Jesus when others were attacking Jesus just to save his own back. And there will be times when we do the same thing. But friends, let us be quick to repent, to turn back to Jesus and receive the forgiveness that he died to give us. And then Simeon's final phrase. It's a, it's a deeply moving and personal message for Mary, the mother of Jesus. A sword will pierce your own soul too. Mothering the Messiah was a great privilege, but also a great burden. It would not be a bed of roses. There'd be a lot of thorns. Probably no other human agonised over Jesus' suffering as much as Mary. To lose a child is great pain. To lose a child by public crucifixion would have been excruciating. A sword would pierce Jesus' side physically. And a sword would pierce Mary's soul emotionally. But in time, she understood that it had to be that way. She understood that Jesus, her son, suffered to save sinners like herself. And she put her trust in him as her saviour too. And the last time Mary is mentioned by name in the whole of the Bible is in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And there she is in the upper room praying fervently with other believers just before the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Like Mary, like Simeon and Anna, let us recognize Jesus as the one God sent to save us and to follow him with great devotion, until he comes again, or until he chooses to dismiss us in peace. Amen.